Welcome to the Dry Eye Coach podcast series, Click on Dry Eye, your insider pass to the most exclusive dry eye topic. The series will raise awareness about the current and future state of ocular surface disease. The podcast will focus on a variety of topics. In today's episode, we have the pleasure of speaking with one of my partners and mentor in John Shepard, who is the president of Virginia Eye Consultants. John is a cornea and uveitis specialist who I worked with for the past 14 years. Between him, Steve Scoper, Liz Yu, and Albert Chung, I mean, you all helped me with my 14 years of cornea fellowship that you like to tease me about as well. Uh, thanks, John, for joining us on Click on Dry Eye. It's a real pleasure. Well, good to see you and good to talk about this important ocular surface condition. So, John, I know your practice, but not all the listeners may know of it. So can you tell us a little bit about Virginia Eye Consultants and Eye Care Partners? Absolutely. Uh, we've enjoyed fulfilling the role of an academic referral center in our region since the medical school has a, a small and all-volunteer department. Thus, we provide all subspecialty care, and we have what I believe to be, thanks to your initiative, uh, the leading uh, optometric referral practice in the country. And we have a, a wonderfully interdigitated uh, cooperation with our uh, highly trained and uh, proficient and many times residency trained referral optometries. These uh, practices are medical in nature. We share surgical patients with them and we share the long-term follow-up of a wide variety of clinical conditions. When retina, oculoplastic, uh, glaucoma, surgical problems, corneal surgical problems arise, refractive surgery, both cataract and corneal, we collaborate together in a co-management situation. We've grown uh, since your arrival, Walden, about 20% a year and with that growth, we've added uh, practices in town. We've uh, now opened a, a total of seven satellite offices, and we've opened a new six-room operating room across the street, an entire new, new building that doubles our floor space. With this uh, continued growth, we've also enjoyed a lot of clinical research, particularly in ocular surface diseases and refractive surgery. We get a chance, therefore, to use a lot of these newer medicines when they're not yet FDA approved or uh, unfortunately carry them through a clinical trial that leads to no approval. And unfortunately, that's the, the case in the vast majority of, of new drug entities introduced into clinical research, even in phase three. So we have uh, enjoyed being the first to use Restasis, first to use Sequa, first to use Isuvis in many forms, and uh, we were participants in neurostimulation as well as the Tirvaya uh, analysis at the very beginning of those uh, concepts of trigeminal stimulation. We look at so many exciting new medications on the market, it's almost impossible to keep track of that, but that's what we really enjoy. That's what gets us out of bed. We have a, a Cracker Jack clinical research department uh, for full-time folks, uh, most of whom are CCRCs. And we, with our specialists and our optometry staff, look at a lot of patients every week who are enrolled in clinical trials. And that's how we came to know the approved drugs, as well as the drugs that we believe to be the next approved entities in our marketplace and in our palette for providing the best possible therapy for that patient sitting in your chair at that moment in time, at that moment in their life. Hey, John, you know, you just mentioned some of the different medications that are available and, you know, the involvement within clinical research. So what are some of the biggest changes or recent innovations that, that you've seen or what are some of the trends? 
And we're going to talk about some specific uh, entities coming up, but uh, what are some of the biggest trends or innovations you've seen? I think the trends are to get away from anti-inflammatories. Initially, we've seen the, the parasympathetic stimulation that got Tirvaya to approval. Varenicline, the active ingredient in Tirvaya, has been around for decades as Chantex, an anti-smoking medication. And uh, the safety profile is therefore unparalleled. And considering the fact that you get a, a small fraction of the systemic dose from the pills into the body with the nasal spray, we're clearly reassured that this is a very safe approach for chronic use. Uh, the Tirvaya stimulates the same pathway as the neurostimulator, the true tier from Oculex and then Allegan. That was a very successful intervention, but it turns out that folks didn't want to buy the expensive stimulator and didn't want to stick an electrode in their nose. Market research just doesn't tell you everything before approval. But with the, the, the spray into the nose, we have a, a new delivery route and we have a new mechanism of action, a very brave uh, foray into the dry eye marketplace by Oyster Point Pharmaceuticals. And this is great for our patients because, you know, they, they don't have to put drops in their eyes. They don't have to have medicamentosa in the case of a, a corneal or a uveitic or a glaucoma patient. And those who have tremors or inability with their proprioception to put a drop in their eye properly, or who might have digital arthritis that just can't squeeze a bottle or cervical arthritis and can't flip their head back, uh, they're very excited to have something to treat their dry eye to, to produce uh, an upgrade in the production of the entire lacrimal functional unit, that is uh, the aqueous and the mucin and the lipid tear components. And this is synergistic with anti-inflammatories because multiple mechanisms are relevant to just about every dry eye patient. So that's, that's been a really exciting development, I think. And carrying forward that new approach uh, with a, a more patient-friendly uh, delivery system. We've also looked at uh, so many of the interventions to directly manipulate the meibomian gland. And starting with warm compresses, which are universally detested and incorrectly applied and, and probably inadequately utilized by most patients, despite their motivation, we saw a revolution with thermal pulsation, that is the, the lipid flow from Tier Science and now Johnson & Johnson. And the Don Korb approach produces a, a warming on both sides of the lid, milks those glands out of there, gets rid of the inspissated, infected, dead, clogged up glands and the, the surviving meibomian organ systems in each tarsal plate and can rejuvenate the, the lipid component of the tear film uh, magnificently. Because of the success of thermal pulsation, so many other companies have come up with uh, variations of that approach, all of which seem to be retail and not insurance reimbursed. And with that new uh, realization that manipulation of the meibomian glands and therefore the lids themselves can improve ocular surface disease, we've seen a, a real burgeoning of, of the, the dry eye center of excellence concept that, that you so uh, personably accelerated in our own practice. And that collaboration between patients and referring docs and MDs and ODs in the practice and educated skilled technicians. And we use the, the breed bone of, of the lid margin. I was taught to do that with cotton tip applicators. Now we have a device that, that polishes the lid margin with the Blefex, which is now uh, an Alcon product. And so many other devices 
uh, like site sciences, like the ILUX and uh, many others uh, in development. And then with that, to you've further quite your a bit of investigation. Yeah. You've had quite a bit of experience with all of these different um, innovations, I guess, over the years. What would you say is your go-to for gland expression? I think the, the original treatment that gets both sides of the lid and, and applies that pressure with the, the lipoflow, the, the thermal pulsation in its original form is, is what you want the patient to use if they can afford it and if they accept that. It's, it's not a required procedure. It's, it's not a vision-saving procedure, but it's essential to management of, of so many of these patients that have MGD. And then the anti-inflammatory of choice, which is uh, you know initiation with a steroid that is the induction therapy with maintenance using perhaps another agent such as cyclosporin or other agents that are really useful like lefitograst in their very well-tolerated uh, topical preservative-free formulation. So it, it's kind of a, a one-two punch. You know, you get the drops in there and, and you get the mebomian glands tuned up. You got to come up with uh, a maintenance therapy for the mebomian gland too. And, and that entails retail education in your practice and creating a routine for the patient so they can take care of themselves on a regular basis that matches their schedule and their abilities. So that's the go-to and that's as short a phrase as I can prose. Yeah. Hey, John, so, you know, or oh, go ahead, go ahead, Tracy. That's okay. I'm just, with, with your vast knowledge and experience, I'm just really excited um, to pick your brain about where you see um, things going next, actually. So what's your opinion on um, RASP or RASP? Where do you think that's, um, that's going to take us? It's just not T-cell. It's just not steroid-mediated pathways that are creating inflammation in the eye and, in fact, throughout the body. And throughout school, we all memorize the steroid pathways and the arachidonic acid and the cyclooxygenase and the lipooxygenase and the vascular permeability and even stabilization of the membranes, including the mast cells. So steroids do work for everything and they have their panoply of, of side effects. Now we've learned that there are parallel inflammatory pathways that have been around for millennia, obviously, that have heretofore been undiscovered and un underutilized. And this includes not only reactive aldehyde species or the RASPs inviting RASP inhibition as a, as a clinical intervention, uh, but also uh, ACTH-mediated pathways through the melanocortin-stimulating hormone receptor complex, which is, again, ubiquitous, particularly in ocular, ocular and neuronal tissues. So we, we've learned that we can manipulate other inflammatory cascades without the traditional steroid intervention, the T-cell intervention, or a non-steroidal aspirin-like intervention. And that's where things get really exciting. And, and we're also looking at, at, at new vehicles too. And these have become quite innovative. We look at the nanoparticles with CEQA and the mucus penetrating protein with uh, Cala's drug, Isuvis. We also look at the semifluorinated alkanes that are being used uh, at the, the Novalik protocols with both solubilization of cyclosporin, a traditional uh, API or active pharmaceutical ingredient, or just the, the, the perfluorohexaloctane by itself. And it turns out this Novalik drug, Novo3, is a very 
outstanding intervention for dry eye patients who have concomitant meibomian gland disease because these, these semi-fluorinated alkanes actually penetrate and change the chemistry of the meibomian glands. So we're looking in the future at, at new pathways and new delivery systems. And delivery systems can be very convenient. You can give a steroid dexamethasone with the ocular therapeutics punctal plug and the patient's on autopilot for a month. What a great way to solve so many compliance and surface toxicity problems. But looking now, as you said, Tracy, at the, the newer inflammatory pathways, I'm very excited about reactive aldehyde species because a company called Aldera, formerly Aldexa, uh, based out of New England, has really been at the forefront, almost by themselves, in, in looking at, at RASP inhibitors. And they have a premier drug, Reproxilap, that can be given topically. It's well-tolerated. And it's been investigated for a, a wide variety of ocular surface and intraocular inflammatory conditions. In fact, the first trial that we did was for anterior non-infectious acute uveitis. And we got to phase three. The phase two data was amazing. We had a, a couple of phase three trials and, and found that in its current vehicular form, the intraocular penetration was not quite adequate to produce uh, a meaningful, uh, statistically significant response in, in the inflammatory endpoints. It produced a reduction in inflammation, but it was not superior to the comparator. But we believe how do that- you, the, How do you see this helping with ocular surface dryness? We know that it'll help because it was so well tolerated in UVIS and, and produced a therapeutic effect. I think delivery is more of a challenge for intraocular uh, penetration of, of these RASP inhibitors like Proxilet, but it's well absorbed and, and highly potent on the ocular surface. And again, we found that there are elevated levels of maldonaldehyde, which is a metabolite of uh, RASP acceleration in an inflamed organ system, including the eye. So you can actually measure maldonaldehyde in the tears. And it turns out that folks with dry eye have elevated maldonaldehyde. And it turns out that if you give Reproxilab to folks who have dry eye with significant signs and symptoms, who have elevated tear maldonaldehyde levels, that the level goes down concomitant and parallel to improvement in signs and symptoms. What an incredible model. Here we have a direct biomarker for efficacy of a drug, heretofore never established in any organ system. And, you know, we look at steroids for years. One of the best models for steroids is internalization of the glucocorticoid receptor. Oh, that's a very complicated assay. Or you look at the, the fat pad swelling on mouse feet. Those are not sophisticated assays that give you a biomarker. But this is a very powerful biomarker found in the tears of dry eye patients. And it turns out that this drug works very well for allergic redness and uh, allergic itching and tearing as well. So we, we have what may be a, a drug that's not a steroid with steroid-like effect and steroid-like comfort that treats a wide variety of ocular conditions, especially ocular surface conditions where we can now deliver the drug in meaningful concentrations. So are you saying that we're gonna have new biomarkers that is gonna be 
that we're going to look at. I mean, right now, traditionally, it's been MMP9s. We've been looking at uh, osmolarity. We, we're hearing about uh, IL-17A and, and others. I mean, is, is, is that what you're thinking? This is going to be another one that we're going to start looking at in the future? I think you're very right in that. And we're going to look at it in two ways. First, for clinical trials. Uh, the FDA has stated that uh, indeed a, a marker so directly related to the drug itself could in fact be uh, a primary endpoint in a clinical trial. Uh, that, that's fantastic and uh, unprecedented. We will also find therefore that this may be another target like MMP9, like osmolarity for the direct assays of patients, tear film for instance, or even a direct application to the ocular surface. A number of companies, of course, are working on this. Quidel and TearLab are leaders, but LacroScience has developed a, a, a gold-plated monitor that can detect up to five different antigens on the surface or osmolarity in several antigens and, and give a profile very much like a lipid profile for a patient with hypertension and hypercholesterolemia. So we're not as good as the, the cardiac doctors, but by golly, we may be able to assemble uh, a small panel of inflammatory markers or uh, surface disease markers, maybe IgE or eosinophilic basic protein for allergy itself, and maybe lipopolysaccharide for gram-negative infections in a contact lens patient, or herpetic antigens for a patient suspected of having herpetic ocular surface or stromal disease. So yes, biomarkers are, are in and rising strongly. Hey, whatever happened to the, the discovery unit from Tier Lab? Because, you know, we heard about it several years ago, but we haven't uh -huh. heard anything about that. Well, Tier Lab has been working on that. It's been a funding issue. Tier Lab was acquired, and uh, there's a, a, a now a, a private equity firm. It'll give you osmolarity and MMP9. It's a, a proven uh, collection method. Our staff knows how to use it. The device is readily available in many offices. And we still do osmolarity tests, but we're anxiously waiting for the launch of discovery that will allow us to take that same specimen and then run two simultaneous tests, looking at a, a concentration for the tear film, as well as an inflammatory marker in the tear film. Of course, there's going to be carpet competition in that marketplace. So what are some of the other indications for RAFT inhibition? I mean, you mentioned allergy. I mean, do you see us using it more for intraocular uses? I know there's studies for proliferative uh, retinopathy, if I'm correct. Right, the same company, Aldera, is, is working on uh, several intraocular agents, including a cousin of Reproxilab, another ADX compound, but they're also looking at intravitreal methotrexate. And in, until now, folks have been giving methotrexate for a wide variety of inflammatory conditions or proliferative conditions in compounded form. And clearly uh, an FDA approved and analyzed and uh, validated uh, preparation of methotrexate uh, would be uh, safer and better and uh, more accepted by both patients and clinicians. So there's also oral forms of RASP inhibitors, and they're being investigated for a wide variety of diseases, including allergy, including severe allergy, like atopic disease and for psoriasis, and also for COVID-19, which as you know, in its fatal form is basically uh, a an overreaction of inflammatory cascades in the lungs and the heart. And uh, it, it turns out that RASP is, is quite a bit of a, a factor in uh, COVID inflammation in, in the, the cardiovascular and pulmonary system. 
And an, another well, condition. I I do I do hate to cut this short because we have to keep um we have to keep it focused on the ocular surface and we only have twenty minutes with you. There's so much in your brain. <laughs> um, we Ouch. Just, we just have one last question, one more anti-inflammatory that we want to get your opinion on because we know you have some, we know we have an opinion on it. Um, can you tell us about Akthard? Sure, Akthard is a gel. It's an ACTH gel. Mm -hmm. It's injected by the patient or family member, and it can be used twice or three times a week. It's a, a very effective anti-inflammatory with steroid potency and without steroid effect. In fact, only about eight or 9% of its effect is actually steroidogenic. The rest is this melanocortin stimulating hormone receptor uh, agonism. And these are inflammatory and inflammation counter controls in the body that are very important in a wide variety of inflammatory processes. And clearly uh, they're involved in severe ocular surface disease. Those folks who just can't use, you know, restasis or Zydra or steroids or use them and don't get all the way better and also in patients with uveitis. Uh, in addition to uveitis and severe ocular surface disease, I've also used Akthar to prevent rejection of corneal transplants in patients who seem to be prone to doing so. So it, it's a, a very powerful way to treat a patient. You don't have to take pills. It doesn't create GI upset. The side effect profile is very benign. And to get a, a, the same effect as 60 milligrams of, of oral steroid, uh, you only have about a, a six milligram oral steroid profile of side effect in that patient. It can be weaned, it can be tapered, and it can be used for you know, really bad Sjogren's patients and patients with devastating ocular surface disease like atopic disease, OCP, Stevens-Johnson, and chemical burns. So I'm excited about that. In fact, one company is working on a topical ACTH medication that looks promising in phase two for dry eye. So suddenly this particular mechanism is becoming popular. And we just saw a competitor come out against ACTH, which is uh, claiming to be just as good, but we know how generics work. So I'm, I'm excited about using ACTH gel. It lasts a long time because it's in the gel. It's a polypeptide. It's a porcine deriv derivative. It's kosher. And it shouldn't be used in people who are allergic to pigs. Otherwise, it's extremely uh, safe. It's a very effective agent. Uh, it's pretty easy to get it approved. And I'm really looking forward to additional trials. Okay. Well, I could talk to you for hours and hours and pick your brain because you literally have tried everything. I don't think there's another dry eye specialist out there who hasn't has tried as many things and as completely as you have. So Thank you so much for your time tonight. Thanks for joining Walt. Thanks for training Walt. And uh, we look forward to maybe having you back again to talk some more because you were just a fount of knowledge. Well, you'll be back, John. Thank you so much. <laughs> oh, it's my pleasure. It's a great working with so uh, a bright and experienced and intelligent a, a team here. Thank you for inviting me and have a great night.